Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the final episode of the Keen Gamer Podcast. I'm your host this week, David Lozada. I'm joined with Sean Rabine. How are you, Sean? Doing pretty good. And how are you, Tim? I'm doing well, thank you. How are you, David? I'm doing very well. Thank you for asking. This is our final episode, episode 50. We're going to leave things off of a bang. We're going to be talking about our favorite games of all time. So not the year, not even the generation, all time. So it's going to be an intimate episode. But before we go into our favorite games of all time, I have a few items of housekeeping to get into. Our Last of Us Part 2 spoiler cast is live on KingGamer.com. So check it out if you've played the game, obviously. And you can catch episodes 1 to 49 of the King Gamer podcast on KingGamer.com. So check out that website. It's been very good to us. And you can catch all the episodes of the King Gamer podcast on Simplecast, on Spotify, on iTunes, pretty much wherever you listen to your podcasts. So you can continue listening to us for posterity because I know our voices are just so... Audible chocolate. Audible chocolate. That's, that, that's it. That's exactly mm-hmm. it. All right, so let's talk about some of the games we've been playing this past week. Tim, how about you start us off? Yeah, for me, it's been, I guess, a little bit busy this week. haven't played too much, but as always, I managed to slot in a little bit of time for uh, Minecraft, as usual. So been playing pretty much just that. Um, I have... I think I mentioned I have like a sort of watchtower that I've been building and um, it hasn't had a roof for a while because I've been roof. kind of distracted by doing other stuff, but I decided that I have to finish it because it just, it keeps raining and the top gets all like, I mean, this is, this isn't a real mechanic, but like the top gets all wet. It's like, I gotta, you know, I gotta fix that. So uh, I, I guess I was trying to figure out how I wanted to build the roof. And then I decided I wanted to use, uh, this block called Blackstone, which is something you get from, uh, hell. <laughs> so I went to hell to, uh, do my roof, which is, you know, it's pretty normal, right? It's what you do. Um, and then after that, I came across a zombie villager. And that is, well, it's a zombie. It's a villager who's become a zombie. And a villager is like a NPC. And you can trade with them and they have different professions. And you can like, depending on their profession and the trades they have available, you can give them certain items in exchange for other stuff. And you can find them, uh, normally you can find them like in villages that spawn in the world, or uh, sometimes they do spawn as these zombies. And if you have certain materials, you can uh, heal them. But um, I I didn't have the materials, so I had to kind of like lead it into a corner and then trap it. And then if if you give... If you give it a name using a name tag, it'll prevent it from, uh, like, despawning. 
Minecraft is so, so. weird now. <laughs> <laughs> when I played it in beta, it was just like, here's some blocks you can use to build things. This yeah. one looks different from that one. That's about it. That's the beginning, middle, end of its complexity. And they talk about like, oh, I have to trap this thing, give it a name in order to. It sounds like it's like this biblical demon catching. Like, oh, to catch <laughs> this thing, you must give it a name. That's literally that in the webcomic kills six billion demons in order for them to uh, restrain the power of a demon. They have to give it names, and the more names it has, the more contained it is. It's very, <laughs> very, very, very small. Yeah, it, it's yeah. funny you, you bring that up. Like, I, I felt the same way Like when Minecraft first came out. I was like, this is a fully realized virtual world. But now it feels like a universe, like with its yeah. own set of periodic table of its own. It's, it's wild. Yeah, it's definitely come a long way since, like, well, you know, like 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah, they've it's, – it's honestly amazing that it's still – I mean, it's obviously been very popular, but its ability to still be going on and get get all these updates all the time is it's very cool. But yeah, if you're someone who hasn't tuned into this game for a while, then then yeah, some of this stuff is like what. Um, but yeah, so I I found a villager, zombie villager, trapped it, but I didn't have what I needed to heal it, so I could turn it back into a normal villager and uh, trade with it. Uh, and in order to do that, I needed a golden apple and a potion of weakness. But to make potions, you need a brewing stand. And part of the components to make a brewing stand is uh, it, one of the crafting items comes from hell. And I, I had been to hell uh, previously, but I didn't find what I needed. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go to hell, and I need to find a nether fortress. And in a nether fortress is an enemy that drops what I need. Uh, so I, uh, you know, I gathered up all my uh, tools and weapons and stuff and made a pilgrimage to hell no. so that I could find this uh, structure. So I traveled through the Blackstone Crags, the Wasted Badlands, the Crimson Forest, and across the Soul Sand Valley. And then finally cresting through the fog was the fortress. So I sort of made my way over. I set up a, a checkpoint sort of safe zone where I had, um, you know, I had like a chest and a crafting table and just an area where I wasn't going to get attacked by stuff. And then... I sort of slowly made my way and uh, tried to explore everything. And I feel like I feel like they've made the fortress more difficult since I was last there, like like in the most recent update, because it feels like it just feels like there's way more enemies now. And it's it was just ridiculous that there's this. Uh, so there's um. Basically, three enemies you'll come across, sometimes four. But there's uh, zombie pigmen, which are like zombified pig people. Uh, and they, they mostly leave you alone. But if you attack them, if you attack one of them, then basically it's like a kind of a horde mentality where 
they'll all become angry at you, like anyone's nearby, and then they'll come attack you. And um, they're pretty fast, and they do a lot of damage, so that that can usually be a bad thing. Uh, it seems usually what happens is that people will accidentally attack them, or, you know, they're trying to attack something else, mm-hmm. and then they'll aggro this, like, huge group of, of pigmen. Uh, so that, that can be pretty bad. Uh, but then there's something called a... It's called a wither skeleton, which is basically That's like a... Horrifying. <laughs> yeah. It's basically like a charred, kind of blackened skeleton. And um, if you get hit by them, they inflict a uh, sort of status effect on you, which like whittles away your health over time. Uh, so th- they can be pretty bad as well. And then uh, the last main one is called a blaze. And they're a, a ranged enemy that they shoot fireballs at you from a distance. And those are the ones I need the material from to make the potion stand. Uh, and I, again, I swear they really increased the spawn rate of the blazes because they were just everywhere. And they can, they can shoot you from a pretty far away away. Um, so that they, they were, they were honestly pretty annoying to deal with. And if you get hit by one of their fireballs, they set you on fire, which is uh, obviously not ideal. So uh, basically, it just I kind of had to make like kind of barricades as I went because the fortress is set up with like sort of long hallways, mm-hmm. so they can shoot you down from a distance. But I, you know, if you go behind something, then they'll like stop. So I kinda, I made like sets of barricades to like you know, to go in between so I could safely move forward in these hallways. Um, and things were going pretty well. And I took down a bunch of stuff and got the materials I needed. Um, and I was on my way back to leave. And then I got stabbed in the back and died instantly. <laughs> um, so that, that, that was, that was kind of annoying, but uh, so I, I had to go back try and retrieve my stuff. I think I got most of it, but some of it despawned because I left it too long. Yeah. Um, but it was nothing too bad. Um, but, you know, I took, you know, I cut my losses, went back home, and I made the potion stand, and then made the potions, and then healed the villager, and, and then, and then he was, he was cured. And, um, then I set up a sort of safe area uh, for the villager because zombies will attack them. And if they, if they do that, then they'll get turned back mm. or, or they'll just die completely. So I didn't want my work to go to waste. And honestly, villagers have a death wish. <laughs> okay. Because it feels like any opportunity they have, they will throw themselves to death in, in front of, like, harm's way. It is so annoying. So, basically, I set up this hole underground. Well, it's not a hole. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a nice room. I furbished it with some beds. I, I have a window in there. Um, but I basically threw him in this hole so that nothing could get to him. And I sealed the way with, like, iron doors so that nothing could get through. Um 
And (laughs) what's that? That sounds healthy. Yeah, no, it's fine. Um, but once I did that, like, like honestly, with the villagers, I feel like a like a worried parent, like that that my children are going to be harmed. But like once I had him in there, and he was like protected and safe, just just a wave of relief, just like oh god, I don't have to worry about this anymore. So parents out there, if you're listening, Tim says to keep your kids safe, never let them leave the house. Yeah, ideally never their room either. But you know, gotta have some freedom. Come on, exactly. I mean, can't self. I gave, I gave him a bed and a desk, and that's you know what else. His imagination should carry the rest. Like you know, exactly. Glue their asses to the seat, glue the seat to the ground. (laughs) That's it. That's how you parent. Mm -hmm. Oh God, that reminds me of that one horrible case. That girl. Oh no, you mean Jeannie? Oh Jeannie. I think yeah. so. It sounded like she was like strapped to a chair that she had left for like years or something. Oh, yeah. I didn't. Uh, I didn't want to. Come on. <laughs> I didn't want to insinuate that. You say glued child of seat. My mind went to it. This is this is on you. I'm sorry. But oh I, man. I this. Uh, so so how did you do a zombie <laughs> raising go? Uh, yeah, so, uh, anyway, <laughs> so, um, so, so I had that, that one guy and that was great. Uh, but I, I, I just been thinking that it'd be nice to have some more, I mean, for one thing, so he's not all by himself and I'll feel a little less terrible for trapping him, mm-hmm. but, um, also so I could have some different villagers to trade with. Right. That's and then like the next night or night after that, there was, um, you know, there's like a zombie outside, so I was like, whatever, just, you know, I'll hit it, destroy it, you know, get away. Uh, and then all of a sudden, just this horror just descended upon me. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I'm going to go back inside. And then they beat my doors down and got in. And uh, among this group was two more villager zombies. So I was like, oh, cool. So I kind of got rid of the normal zombies and isolated the villager ones, healed the both of them, and then corralled them oops corralled them into uh the room I had. So then I got two more. And then another one showed up and I got him as well. So now I have four villager zombies. Four children that I've protected. I mean I've given them new life. If it wasn't for me they'd still be a zombie, so as far as I'm concerned, they owe me. I'm sure they yeah. see it that way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> From their locked, windowless cell. <laughs> the, I no, I said. Think about a we are so lucky. There's a window. Oh, there's a window to tease them. They're like, hey, Sun look roof. at that. Oh, <laughs> just blame it on coronavirus. So they can't even look outside yeah. the window at like nature. They all can do is look up. <laughs> look what nature done to us. Coronavirus. Yeah. yeah. Just blame it on coronavirus. That's it. Yeah, exactly. But um. So it's it's like this, but this is a constant problem I have because I've I've been through this before, and and the reason I have them in a hole out of paranoia is because somehow they always die, or somehow a zombie gets in and kills them all. So I'm taking no risks <laughs> this time, <laughs> and uh, eventually 
like my my goal is I never seem to get to it, but my goal is to keep them safe, grow the population, and then have have an exodus, have have an uprising from beneath, and like bring them to an actual village above ground that I, that I've created nearby. But I never seem to get to that point because it takes so much work, or they usually wind up dying. <laughs> so hopefully this time it goes it uh, goes better. But for now. They will stay underground where they're safe, because that's how it must be. They'll understand. Is how it must be. Indeed. Sean, Mm. what have you been playing this past week? Uh, The only game I've been playing is more Persona 4. Uh, I'm really enjoying it. I'm about 40 hours into it, and I'm only just now reaching July, and the game ends in, like, March. So, oh I got a ways to go. Yeah. Um, but I, I think I have most of the cast rescued at this point. Um, so, based on those, uh, Yosuke, he's fine, but he does some stuff concerning Kanji that's like, Yosuke, what the hell is wrong with you, man? Would you just chill? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're not yeah. going to get raped in the night, dude. Like, just come on. Yep, yep. Um, Chie is fine. She's the, you know, childhood best friend, tomboy trope. I really, a lot of people like, that's like her, their favorite. Like I see her cosplayed all the time, but I'm like, I don't get it. I really don't. I'm going to let you in on something. I think it's because she's an easy cosplay. That's probably it. Yeah. Um, Yukiko, I thought I wouldn't like, I thought she'd be kind of like the boring, pretty one. Uh, but she's got some interesting personality here. Like she's, she comes across as this very prim and proper, um, future heiress to a big, uh, hotel. And like, she has to behave very well, but she actually like, like a giant goofball. It, like plays dumb jokes and like snort laughs every time. It's like, it's pretty adorable. Uh, she's Kyle, underrated for sure. She really is. Um, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if people were like, oh, she's the worst one because she's just the boring pretty one. It's like, no, she's a big old goofball. She's fun. Uh, Kanji, I love Kanji. He is so great. He is such a true blue friend. His, like all the characters go through like some sort of like inner turmoil, which causes them to like split inside the like TV world. Like they have the shadow and whatnot. Uh, his was the most interesting so far. Um, struggling with his, uh, identity and masculinity and sexuality to the point where it's like, he's not even sure if he's gay. I'm not sure if he's gay. What I am sure of is he just wants to sew. He just wants to make nice fabrics. But people make fun of him for it, so he has to beat them, beat their asses up. Like, Ain't nothing wrong with sewing. Yeah. Ain't nothing wrong with sewing. Uh, so Kanji is great. That's why I don't really like Yosuke as much anymore, because he kept giving Kanji a hard time. It's like, no, dude. Um... Rise is the most recent one that I rescued, so I haven't really gotten to know her very well. Uh, but she could be interesting. You know, she's... Pop star. Yeah. yeah, she's a pop star idol. And she also has a conflict of identity where she's like, I'm not sure if I'm Rise the pop idol or Rise the tofu shop worker. Like, I've been, I've been bounced between both so often, I don't even know which one was the real one anymore. Um... She doesn't join your party as a combat character, though, which is a bummer. She's a behind-the-scenes analysis type. 
which is fine because her voice replaces yeah. Teddy, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Teddy's voice is. If we're audible chocolate, he's audible brine water. Like he's, I hate him. Yeah, uh, <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but so I haven't really got to know her that much. Outside that cast, though, uh, there's some interesting. Um, you know, you, you go through these stories with these different characters to like understand what they're going through and like increase your social link with them. Uh, Marie's interesting. You're like you're teaching her about the world, and like she doesn't understand who she is. And it's very, it's like a mystery that you're solving with her. I can't remember. It's either Yuki or Yumi, I think is my favorite one so far. To the point where, like, if ever she comes up to me and says, hey, do you want to hang out today? That's what I'm going to do. The other character's like, hey, you want to hang out today? I'm like, no, I'm already made my decision. I'm going to go make origami birds. You can't stop me. But if Yumi comes up and says, hey, can we hang out? I'm like, yeah, because her shit is tragic. And I, I, I just think Yumi, yeah, Yumi, yeah. Her shit's tragic, and I just I want to make sure that she's okay, <laughs> even though she's a video game character. I'm like, ah, oh. Nanako too is a pretty, I would say tragic, but that's really just like a downer. So I want to make sure she's okay as well. A lot of people are in great distress in that game, but you know, overall, I'm really enjoying it. I'm still bummed out how the whole persona catching system works versus how it worked in Persona Five. Uh, but everything else about Persona seems basically identical. You know, the fusion system and, uh, fusion forecast and all these different things. So it's all the same in that regard. Yeah. I mean, I think you have to keep in mind this game is like many years old. Like, <laughs> yeah. So when like, I, I look at some of like some of the writing, some of the, uh, mentalities towards like, uh, homosexuality, I'm like, for that time period, for their age, yeah, that I guess that makes sense. Teenagers like that. There would be teenagers like that. There's still teenagers like that, but there would be teenagers like that back then. But yeah, it's 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 an older game, but honestly, it never feels like an older game beyond that. Like it's really well polished. It looks great, plays wonderfully, the music is awesome, like it's it's a fine piece of work. Yeah. I, I've seen the screenshots. It looks it looks great on PC. It, it's great, yeah. Yeah. For context, this game came out in 2008 originally. Mm-hmm. So it's very old. <laughs> Ancient. Yeah, it's 12 years, man. That's. Yeah. Damn. Wow. And have you been playing anything else? That's it. No, that's it. Uh, I think I dabbled a little bit more in Genshin Impact, but not much. Uh, I think I'm, I'm, I've pretty much done everything I wanted to, either yeah. because I'm not interested in the game anymore or. When it comes out fully, I would rather play for the hours of that version. Because I don't want to put like a hundred hours yeah. in an impact beta and have it all be for naught. So <laughs> it's gonna get deleted, yeah. So, yeah. so yeah, yeah. I'm not, I'm not gonna invest any more time into it. I'm gonna to try to focus on beating Persona Four. Maybe by the time you put two hundred hours in we can get to play with each other. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's what we have to do to get level sixteen is ridiculous. Have you reached yeah. level sixteen? Yeah, I got I got to level twenty one, I think. Oh, so I, I did co op once, and it was incredibly laggy and buggy. So, oh, and also like they had like a chat filter that was like insanely bonkers. As like he as tried insane to say, as the name, as when you try to put in a name, exactly like the character. The dude says like, um, I think he was trying to say the word computer, 
and it, it censored C-O-M. No, that's too close to that other word. No, <laughs> and it just censored like, huh? Like most of the letters, like not even the full word, just a lot of the letters in a, in a singular word. It was hmm. like this is it's it's laggy. I can't talk it's to this work. guy. Yeah. Do you know? Do you know what's something that came to mind now that you're talking about this? Does it have anything to do with the fact that uh, this is tinfoil hat here that it's a Chinese game? Like maybe I, they're I wonder that words because uh, yeah, they're not sure which words to censor, which ones to not. But yeah, I assume they have a localization team that can help them out with that. But yeah, I, I, I would think know. so too. Uh, it's it's a very overzealous censor uh, system for the yeah. time. But uh, I mean, this isn't this isn't something that's foreign to you know Asian games in general. I think Final Fantasy fourteen has a pretty similar stringent uh, like name filter, just, you know, curse word filter thing too. Uh, hmm. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, I, I, I wish you the best of luck with Persona 4. I know that that game is real time sync. I will say one thing I don't like, in the game, if the main character dies in combat, it's game over. Any other character dies in combat, they just sit there until you can pick them back up. It's fine. But the main character dies, game over. Which is bad in and of itself. But it also this is also in a game in which some enemies can do one-hit kills. Like there's, there are a lot of spells that can kill you in one hit. Not like, like they do a lot of damage, but just like you're dead. That's the status effect. So it's like that's a that's a very mid two thousands mechanic though. It's in so, it's so dickish. I know, I know, I know. It doesn't excuse I, it. I, I honestly, I yeah. I can't think of another game which I've seen. You know, main character dies, game over. Yeah, Final Fantasy thirteen does that. Never played that. Uh, a lot of the Final Fantasies actually, I think, do that, where the main character dies, it's game over. I think from thirteen, you know, from one to thirteen. <laughs> actually yeah I've played, played 7, yeah. 8, 9 and none of those did that 7 doesn't do that? I thought 7 did that no? nope hmm. alright like well, I'm probably wrong but Maybe I was just a badass and Cloud never died I don't know but uh, I know a couple Final Fantasy games do that for sure I, it's not, I think Dragon Quest 2 yeah. Dragon Quest does that stop doing that Japan it makes no sense I don't think they do it anymore I mean Obviously, it's it's more Western now. They're on Keep up the good work. Then. Yeah, yeah. As for me, I've not been playing very much. So, because I haven't been playing very much, I'm going to talk about an anime I watched, which you should all watch. <laughs> and this anime is called BNA. It's by Trigger, which I know Sean you like. I really they designed the. Um, the the opening animation to the new Shantae game, and I, I'm it's a personal favorite of mine too. They made shows like Gurren Lagann, uh, Kill a Kill. They did the show with the anime girl with the horns that you see every now and then in collaboration with A One Pictures. Was that oh Darling in the Franks? That's what it's called. So yeah, they've they've been around for a while, and this is their newest show. It, it's cool. It stars a uh, a raccoon girl. Her name is Michiru. And 
she uh, one day transforms into a beast man and it just she was once she was once a, a a human but she just magically one day randomly transforms into a beast person and there's a there's there's racism against beast people i don't, I don't know if you can call it racism i guess it's more speciesism speciesism yeah there's probably a word for that but i don't i don't know what it is uh speciesism let's say against beast men in this universe where humans hunt down beast men but the beastmen live in one little enclave in Japan called Anima City. And so she journeys to Anima City and being a beastman there is celebrated. But the human world is trying to infiltrate it in, in subtle ways, like infiltrating their pharmaceutical uh, industries, infiltrating it through the black market, things like that. So it's actually much more intricate than I thought it would be and much more socially oriented than I thought it'd be. I thought it trigger trigger anime tend to be very they're very superficial. Let's say it that way. And I don't mean that in a bad way. Like I like Kill a Kill. I liked all the boobs and the guts and the glory like in you know it's like it's it, it, it's just crazy, you know, it, and it's fun. And the same thing goes with Gurren Lagon. It's just crazy fun. Uh this arguably the same could be said for Darling and the Franks. So I was kind of expecting the same thing here, but what I got is a much more mature version of Trigger than I was expecting. I've only seen the first three episodes, so you know, take this as you will, but I'm really interested to see where they go from here because it, it, it definitely grabbed my interest and it's definitely a new direction for Trigger as a studio. Yeah. Uh, and, I, and I hope that they do more work like that in the future because that's, that's a that's really good on them, you know. Honestly, I, I had like a mild interest in it based on the animation style, but when you said that's Trigger, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm in. Oh yeah. And once I finish yeah. the anime, I'm watching. That's probably, honestly, that's like one of the main reasons I'm watching it <laughs> because I'm not into like anthropomorphic characters. Like, I, it's just not a me thing. But I was like, oh, it's Trigger. It's made by Trigger. Okay, I got, I gotta watch this. There's gonna be like some cool action scenes, you know. Some some gutting gore here and there. I've got to see this, and uh, you know I wasn't disappointed. So uh, definitely check it out if you're in, if you're a fan of Trigger, uh, and if you're a fan of anime in general. I think it's a really interesting direction that that not a lot of anime go down. So uh, yeah, check it out. All right, so we're gonna move on to the topic of the show. This week's topic is gonna be kind of a open discussion of free-for-all and we're going to tell you talking about our favorite games ever favorite games of all time so forget about the year we're in forget about generation we're in we're just going to be talking about the games that we grew up with really kind of affected us on a personal level that made us who we are today and that continue to kind of inspire us in everything that we do uh, be it in video games, in our career in video games, or or outside of video games. So I'm going to toss the mic over to Tim first. Tim, start us off. What is one of your favorite video games of all time? It probably goes without saying, but uh, this is not easy. And uh, <laughs> I think I underestimated uh, how how difficult this would be. Um, it is pretty tough, huh? 
because, yeah. well, it's like you think, oh, well, yeah, I mean, it'll be tough, but, you know, like, I, I have some things in mind. And then you keep remembering games that are like, oh, that game, oh, and that game, oh, and that, oh, God, I can't choose between my children. What are you doing? Um, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. So, my first pick is, you know, it's actually, it's something I haven't touched in a while. But back in high school, well, back in high school was when I got my first Xbox uh, 360. Uh, and before that, I was like total Nintendo kid. I got, yep. you know, Nintendo consoles and the games and I was, that's what I was into. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's not that I wasn't, I think it was more of a function that that's just what, I happened to be exposed to. Um, my brother was into games when he was younger, and um, he had a Super Nintendo and later a 64 and a GameCube. Um, but he never got like an Xbox or a, a PlayStation. So I think it's really down to that's just what I was exposed to, and that's why I was just a Nintendo kid for a while. But um, I guess after having you know other friends and other influences eventually in high school was when I got an Xbox. And uh, part of that, or, you know, part of me getting into that was getting into Halo. Of course, a, a big... I was going to say Halo. <laughs> well, I have a specific... I don't know if we have the same specific game in mind, but I'm not I'm not just saying it in general. Yeah. But, um, so yeah, so I got... That's when I got into Halo. Uh, Halo 3 was what I got at the time. And uh, super fun, super great. Hadn't really played anything like it until then. Um, and that that was a, a pretty, a, like, just a changing point in a lot of ways in terms of what I'd been exposed to at that point. Right. Um, and that was, gosh, that was, like, I guess 2010 or so. And um, I loved Halo. And... They, uh, Bungie had a new game coming out in the franchise and that was Halo Reach. And I love that game so much. And that, that's my first choice is Halo Reach. Oh. I probably played that and like nothing else for maybe six months or something. I, I just, I don't know why I just couldn't get enough of it. I really enjoyed, I mean, like I said, I enjoyed Halo 3, but for some reason, the whole Master Chief thing didn't grip me very much. I know everyone will go crazy yeah. over him, but... Something of a mythical figure. Yeah. It's not very interesting. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was fine enough, but I don't know. I just, I enjoyed, I think I enjoyed the story more of Halo Reach. And um, even just in terms of the look of it, the way that the armor looked and it was a bit more dusty and like worn mm. and used. Whereas I always felt like at least in like Halo three, like the chief's armor was always like kind of plasticky looking to me. In some like way. an actor figure in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah, it, it did. And that was fine, I guess, but just because of that, I preferred the way reach looked and um, even like the sound design and the environment, and the environments, they were, they were just so cool to me at the time. 
And, um, I just, I, I absolutely loved it. And I played the multiplayer over and over again, just getting fed back into that loop. Um, and there was like a whole bunch of, like when you completed matches, you'd earn credits. You could put those credits towards, uh, new customizations, you know, back in the day when that was free, uh, new customizations for your armor and different like modules. You get like a robot arm or like have a, a, a belt of grenades across your chest. Um, and I think if you got like everything, you could get like a, a skull helmet or like it, it was a helmet with a skull inside of it. Uh-huh. I, I never got that, but, um, that was pretty cool. Um, and equally, I guess I love the campaign as well. And I played through that multiple times and, you know, I have a couple of favorite missions that I'd just do over and over again. There was like a, a sort of commendation system where you would get like, not really rewards, but it would keep track of like how many headshots you got or how many vehicle like splatter kills you'd get. And, um, there was a, a page somewhere where it like lists all this stuff and there were different, there were different like tiers of this. So like if you had 10 headshots throughout the campaign levels, you'd have like a, a bronze medal and then maybe a hundred was like a silver medal. And it like went up all the way to like, I think like gold, diamond and onyx medals. And even that was like, really engaging to me and just give me an excuse to do the campaign over, over and over again. And there were like weekly challenges and, and daily challenges. And I, I just, I really got into it in a, in a really big way. And then, then of course there was the map creator, map creator mode forge. And I messed around with that quite a bit as well. And that was a, I was going to bring that up. Yeah. Yeah. And that was a cool way to, you know, tap into the, creative side of me, which is, you know, I, I like being, I kind of like both aspects of being able to have a sandbox and make something, you know, have something that I've made and play around with it and also, you know, be given content to, to play and be given a direction, which you got through the campaign and, and multiplayer, but it was really just a, a nice collection of everything that I really enjoyed part of a franchise that I enjoyed as well. And, um, it recently I actually bought Reach on Steam, finally came to the Master Chief Collection. So that was, that was really cool re- revisiting that. And, um, I haven't played it in a while, but I'm sure eventually I'll hop back into it again. But that is definitely one of my top picks of all time. First one. Yeah. I think, I think you touch upon all the Tim aspects, right? Like, so all the, the creative aspects through the map creator, right? Which I, I think you, I, I think of you as a creative person, as a designer, um, but also that narrative-driven kind of uh, environmental-focused aspect of you too. You know, like so you get the best of both worlds, basically, is what I'm trying to say with Halo Reach. So, yeah, it's a very Tim game. I think <laughs> there need to, there needs to be more Tim games in this world, right? Tim? <laughs> yeah, I have no complaints. If every single game that came out was <laughs> something I like, actually, that'd be overwhelming. But maybe, maybe. Yeah, not. yeah, we've got to play the 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 playing with Gilberts too. I mean, they've, got, <laughs> they've got to get time in too. 
Sean, what about you? What is one of your favorite games of all time? Uh, I'll briefly say, before I get into one of my choices, um, I was going to say Halo, and it is uh, the very first one, because I think that was my first first-person shooter, and it was probably the first game I had on the Xbox when I got it. And it was just so cinematic, and the music was so great, and it just blew my mind. Little little baby me was just like, wow, holy shit, this is so cool. And then the moment we're like, you know, you're fighting the Covenant for the entire game, and then at some point, the flood comes in, and it's like, oh, shit, a third faction to fight? This is this is the coolest thing ever. Because up to that point, like, when I thought of, like, video games, like, there's good guys, there's bad guys, and all bad guys work together. But here, Covenant and Flood, like, they weren't working well together. They didn't want them to be around either. So Halo was definitely influential. Uh, but I would say one of the most influential games for me was Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic 2. Uh-huh. I, I, I really enjoy 1. I'm not, I'm not going to pretend that 1 wasn't influential too, but 2 showed me just how good a video game could be written. And I was like, oh my god, this is so cool. This is doing things with Star Wars I've never seen before. It, it's questioning the Force. It, it's asking about like robot rights. Like, it's so damn cool. And I, I love that game. I still, to this day, love that game. Uh, so it really showed me, influenced me to like, like okay, great writing. Like really top tier writing. Not just like writing I enjoy, but great writing can exist in video games. And I was so happy to see that. So Kotor two was my. I think Kotor two. A lot of people talk when it, a lot of people talk about it. They talk about morality. They talk yeah. about like a humanity in it. You know, like we as human beings, we don't just accept things for what they are. We're always skeptical. Yeah. And this game really captures that very well. You know, like there's a certain skepticism with a lot of the characters. Yeah, well, especially like Kray, like she's skeptical as hell, and she's. Yeah. Skeptical almost to the point where it's like she's trying to challenge you to be more skeptical. So like uh-huh. you can never 100% please her because she's always going to be like, did you just say that to make me happy? Because if you are, you're a dick. And, you know, the, in, a, in a game in which there's a, a light and dark system, you do good deeds, you get light. You do bad deeds, you get dark. It's a, it's a game that questions the logistics of that kind of thing. Where it's like, can, are all dark side actions hundred percent dark. Like, can you do something that hurts people, but it's pragmatic and helps other people? Right. Because yeah. they're light or dark. Like it, it just gets into your brain. It's just like, it's so cool to talk about and discuss. And, mm-hmm. oh, I love that game. Yeah. Yeah. There need more games. That have, uh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> they need more games like it. I really would love it. Yeah. Yeah. As for me, I'm going to go a little bit more simplistic than you guys, if you allow me. No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> one of my favorite games of all time also happens to be one of the first games I ever played, and that is Spiral the Dragon. And oh, that's a cute game to play. I love this game because it's just... it it, it It's pretty personal for me because it's a game where... I felt like I belonged, if that makes any sense. I, 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 growing up, I 
I was very, I was very much encouraged to do sports. Uh, in particular, I was enrolled in, in baseball for like 10 years, maybe. Wow. Uh, growing up. Yeah. And I didn't like baseball. I'm going to be honest. Um, it, it, it didn't really, I never really got it. I never really, I mean, I understood the mechanics of baseball. It's if you want to call it that. Yeah. I mean, it was, it, you could call it boring, but I, I just, I was never really that enthusiastic about it. I would always, you know, when my parents would take me to like the fields, I'd always enjoy the ride more than actually being on the field. Right. Um, <laughs> you know, which, which says a lot. So I, I would always kind of like after those experiences, I'd always kind of come back home and I'd be like, man, I feel like so defeated because I sucked at baseball. And I, I, that had part of shit due to the fact that not to excuse my athletic ability because I have none, but uh, it also had to do with the fact that I was extremely enthusiastic about it. So I had, I, I wanted something or someone to comfort me and I wanted a place to go away. And Spyro was that place that I could go away and I could be in this world and I could, you know, talk to and, and interact with characters that made me feel good. Um, and it also made me feel accomplished because one of the things, one of the, one of my first accomplishments in my mind that I consider to be great is collecting all the gems in Spyro the Dragon. And I know that sounds like, wow, Dave, you're such a loser. <laughs> but, but I mean, like collecting all the gems isn't, isn't easy as a kid that's like six years old or seven years old or whatever. Or I was probably a little older, maybe eight or nine, you know, and I, it, it isn't easy because all of these gems are kind of hidden away. Mind you, there aren't cheats or anything that you could find these gems with. You have to, or like there aren't any tools or anything. You have to find them, you know, like yourself and scour every little inch of each world to find the gems. And when I found the last one, I remember exactly where I found it. It was uh, over a lake tucked away around the corner uh, on a grassy patch. I remember it like it was yesterday. It's so weird. But I remember when I got it, it was like, man, I freaking did it. I'm so proud of myself, you know. I freaking managed to do this thing that I work so hard on and I, and I got a lot of it. I mean, it didn't really, the, the game didn't really reward me. It just was like, I don't know how many gems there, maybe like there's a thousand. So it was like a thousand out of a thousand. Congratulations. And that was it. It was like a little animatic or whatever. Yeah. Um, and in hindsight, it's like, wow, saying this out loud sounds like such, <laughs> it makes me sound like such a dork, but I, you know, it, it was something that meant a lot to me. Especially after feeling so defeated every time I went to the baseball fields. So, uh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's definitely a game that I will always love. And I do have to, uh, have, I do have to shout out the Spiral Reignited trilogy. They, they put so much love into those remakes. It's just like the, the cheats, the big head modes, the graphics. All the character remodels and everything, the voice acting—it's just, just all the all the dragons look different. Like it, I thought that was the oh, coolest part. How each that dragon is so looked cool, man. I mean, even even like the like some of the enemies in Spire of the Dragon are just so like they're just blobs. 
Yeah. You know, <laughs> and they're just like polygons and they, they put together and they called it a thing. And in this, in the, in the chill, in the Spyro Ignite trilogy, they actually, they're actually characters, you know, like they're actually monsters that you have to defeat and they look somewhat menacing. They actually have personalities. Um, and it's just such a great experience to relive that in a modern setting and in modern you know, world and, and kudos to Toys for Bob for recreating that with such due diligence. I mean, I really can't express enough how much I appreciate that. All right, Tim, how about you give us your second favorite game of all time? Choice number two. Okay. You know, I, I actually almost forgot about this one, which feels uh, like heresy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I guess it'll just be the franchise in general. Uh, so Dark Souls is my second yeah. choice. Dark Souls. Yeah. <laughs> I, oh my gosh. I guess I first played it like eight years ago now. I can't believe it's been that long. Um, but yeah, eight years ago, I played, uh, in college, someone had a copy of, uh, Dark Souls. For console, hadn't heard of it, never seen it, didn't ever hear about. I mean, to be fair, most people didn't really hear about Demon Souls. I don't think. Yeah. Um, but I I saw them playing it, looked kind of interesting. Uh, picked it up, and I guess it was pretty much written at that point. It's just, it's so hard, but it's so. Rewarding. Well, I mean, once you, you know, once you get the hang of it, it becomes not as hard, but it's just so unique and it doesn't, it, it was, in terms of at least what I played until that point, it was so unique because it just, it plopped you in a world and was like, go, yeah, do I stuff. Yeah, figure it out. <laughs> it's like, well, oh. No, there's bad guys. You're not, you're not a bad guy. Go kill the bad guys. Yeah. Don't question it. Like in the first area alone, there's like a couple different areas you can go, and it's just you just you gotta figure it out. Where do you go? Do you go up the stairs? Do you go down the elevator? Don't go. Are you gonna go down where the skeletons are? You're probably gonna die. But you'll yeah. figure it out. They love you to figure it out. They didn't put like mm-hmm. character levels above their heads. Like, oh wait, I'm one, and that's fifty. Mm-hmm. That should go away. It's like no, you figure out if you can beat that thing. Yeah, because exactly, technically, you could beat anything. From level one with no weapons. Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of your skill level. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's another big thing. It's just a matter of knowing the enemy and observing their attack patterns and just having the dexterity and, and you know, just sense of knowing what they're going to do and in their telegraphs and, uh, you know, just having the controls down. And even yeah. with that, you can take down, uh, you can take down like, I mean, there's people who I think take down bosses with nothing but their fists. There's people who do like take no hit runs. Bosses with a banana as a control. <laughs> like, it's, it's nuts what you can do at that game. And not to co-opt your, uh, your turn, but it's like Dark Souls for me, it wasn't like the cool obfuscated story or the location. It's, it's a medieval style location. It's not entirely striking, but I would say dark souls definitely instilled in me the value of not giving up because I quit that game 
so many times only to go back to it and try again. Like I, I'm like, this game is so stupid. It's poorly designed. It's artificial difficulty. I hate this game. I hate it. And then like an hour later, I, I'm like, okay, I'm going to do it. I could do it. And mm-hmm. it, it wasn't like the game said like, don't give up. It, it just, it's just like, it was just so well designed that I knew internally, subconsciously that it's not that the game is cheating and it's poorly designed. It's tough, but it's fair. And I just need to overcome the challenges it's giving me. Yeah. I mean that, yeah, exactly. I mean, I've had that too. I'll get mad, but then it's like, I, yeah. 99.9%, like maybe there's a slim chance that it was like a bug, but it really probably isn't. I was just an idiot. Yeah. Or I, I thought I pressed a button, but I didn't press a button. And then I lied that I did. It's, it, it, it is. It's very, it's fair. It lays, it lays things out. Or like, you know, like, if you mess up, that's on you. You didn't pay attention to something, or you forgot to, to do something, or you didn't heal, or there's like an enemy off to the side, and, you know, now you know. Yeah. And you just have to learn and become better. And you can right. do it. Um, and it's just, that's, I like challenge. I, that's another big thing. I really like challenge. I'll go out of my way to make challenge, uh, in games where maybe it didn't exist. So this franchise is obviously very appealing to me in that way. Yeah. And, um, it's, uh, I mean, it's so frustrating, but when you finally do it, it's like, I did it. I could have given up, could have left it. I didn't. Maybe there's a tough boss. Maybe it's like not, maybe it's, uh, you know, resistant to a certain damage type. Mm-hmm. So you have to kind of go back to the bonfire, look through your, you know, what's, what's in your tool set? What can I do? What can, what can I change? How can I approach this? And then you, maybe you grind out, get a few more levels. Yeah, that's that type of thing. The interesting thing about the Dark Souls games is that in other games, if like I'm hitting a brick wall, I'll just keep going at it, maybe change my strategy a little bit, but like my my gear is always going to stay the same. Like, this is the best weapon. I will use this. But Dark Souls, that series is the only series in which I've ever gone back to the bonfire and be like, okay, what about my gear do I need to change to make this easier? And I think the whole series gets too often uh, simplified as a description. Like, Dark Souls, they're hard. And that's, that's, that's way too reductive. And it's just like, yeah, it's hard, but it's, it's not that it's hard. It's challenging. And there's a distinction Mm -hmm. between that. Like hard just feels like hard for the sake of being difficult, but challenging feels like it's hard, but it's asking you to overcome it. That's a challenge. And I think too often Mm -hmm. you would just reduce Dark Souls. Like it's just really hard. (laughs) It's like, uh, Dark Souls is, yeah, it's challenging. Whereas, like, I want to be the guy is like yeah. hard. Maybe even above that, that. I want to be the guy is the first game I streamed, and it nearly destroyed my career because like, I don't need to finish this game. <laughs> this is insane. I'm not doing this. <laughs> Never finished it, by the way. That game is insane. No way. Oh god. That that's that's challenging, but that's a challenge from like I know I don't have the skill set to overcome that one, and I. <laughs> I also don't have the patience to learn to overcome it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, that, that I played that a while ago, but 
yeah, it, it's rough. Yeah. It's rough. But, uh, but no, Dark Souls, it, it's fantastic. It's, it is challenging, but so rewarding. Uh, I, well, also another aspect I've always loved is, I mean, on the subject of, there's a bunch of different ways you can go, and it's kind of, at least the first one, well, I think less so in the, like the, at least the third one feels less open, but, uh, the first one's very, is very open. If you know your way around, you can actually, like, bypass a bunch of bosses, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and even, you know, maybe, even if you're really good, maybe you still can't kill certain enemies, but you can kind of sneak your way into an area, grab a couple useful items, and then get out of there, and use those yeah. at an earlier point than maybe you would have been able to if you went the, you know, quote, normal path. Um, right. I always loved that as well, doing like doing some kind of recon and, you know, getting some useful stuff. So just overall, it's just so, it is very challenging, which is definitely part of it, but it's very rewarding. There's a lot of different ways you can approach it. It's very susceptible to having multiple playthroughs and trying different stuff. And um, it's just such such a well-designed game. Very well-designed. And you can play with a banana. And you can play with a banana. You can play with a banana, of course. That, that, that was my first stipulation. Mm-hmm. You have to be able to play with a banana. Sean, what's another one of your favorite games of all time? Uh, but before I want to preface by the fact that I have a lot of games written down, but I'm struggling to find the top, top ones, but I'm, Me too. again, I'm focusing on ones that I felt were influential to my life. Like they weren't just good, but they're ones that kind of redirected my quote unquote gaming career from that point forward. And I think one game that did that extremely well was a little game called RuneScape. I started, I had no idea the concept of MMOs at the time. My friend, uh, after I went to visit him in Virginia, uh, told me, he's like, hey, you know, there's this game called RuneScape, and we could play together since, like, you're across state lines right now, but we can play together. And it's always online, and there's other people to talk to. I'm like, that's crazy. And I, I looked at the game like, wow, this looks terrible. This, because at that point, like I had like an Xbox or something like that. Like I knew what games could look like, and RuneScape was not hitting that barometer. But I played it and I loved it. There's so much grinding in that game, but I kept going at it. And they just add, they added so much content, and I was, I just enjoyed the whole experience so much. Going through RuneScape and and all these different, like every. I think it was like every week they would add a new piece of content. And I remember waking up on Monday morning before school, pulling up the, the page, the browser page, to see what they had added. And sometimes it'd be something small, and sometimes it'd be like an entire new quest chain, like something big, like the, the Monkey Island one. Uh, and it was just always so exciting to see this game. And it's it's gone through so many facelifts over the years. And I don't know if it plays exactly the same as when I, I played. Uh, I think I tried looking at it. Somewhat recently, I, I couldn't find any interest in it, but it's because of RuneScape that I also got into World of Warcraft. And while that also ate up a lot of my time that could have been spent, I don't know, learning a trade or, or talking to girls, in World of Warcraft, it, it, it helped hone my writing ability because every character I made, I made a backstory for. And they all 
interconnected with each other, they have like overlapping, like they have some interaction with each other at some point in their backstory. And my friend who also played did the same thing with her characters and we created campaigns and all this stuff. And it was just so much fun to do these things. And it was really only possible with World of Warcraft because I think the ability to visualize the characters really helped move things along at a, a faster pace. But RuneScape is the one that kind of started it all. This quick, this little 2D browser MMO where I, I killed the Black Knights a thousand times in order to get a, uh, a rune chess piece or it was rune something. I think the chess piece came the dragon. Uh, but yeah, RuneScape. Yeah. I don't remember. I, I, I think I've dabbled with RuneScape. Um, a friend of mine, don't take this the wrong way, Sean. Yeah. Used to be a lot, a lot more nerdy than I. So he he would play a lot of like world, like like MMORPGs, like World of Warcraft and uh, and RuneScape, and even like other stuff that I won't get into, like the anime uh, MMOs that they got online. I don't know, maybe Gaia, something like that. I don't and, know if that was really Ragnarok. That was an anime one, I think. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. And so, I, I, he'd be like, "Yeah, man, you gotta play it. You gotta play it." And so, um, I actually did like it. I liked kind of like the world building aspect of RuneScape. Like, there's an actually like fully fleshed out world oh, there, yeah. and it seems like everything has a purpose. They have gods and old war. Yeah, stuff like yeah. It, it, there's like a lore there. There's a mythos, and I, and I like that. Um, and I like that with a lot of MMO. In general, like it just seems like there, in order to create such a massive game, you almost need to create like a culture almost, you know? And yeah. it's just, it's just so interesting. I think like once, once humanity has progressed, we're going to look to these things and be like, man, we can create cultures from the tips of our hands, you know, through these virtual means, you know, like yeah. it's going to be analyzed more, I think, from like, psychological, sociological perspective. Oh, Warcraft got analyzed in that regard when it came to that uh, that spread of that disease that was due to a bug. I'm sure you've heard of that. Uh, there was yeah. a raid in which there was like a disease you could get during the fight and it would tick down your health oh. until you die. And there was a bug in which if that disease was put onto a hunter pet and the pet was dismissed before the uh, disease finished, when you went into the city, that disease would pop back up. And the thing that's important about the disease is that it spreads to nearby players. So somebody took their pet, put it in a crowded area, and just started spreading the disease. And it was just a huge pandemic in the game. People were dying en masse. And oh, the wow. CDC actually studied it to see how people behave in a pandemic and, and how disease spreads. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Wow. I recommend looking it up. It's really fascinating. Um, interesting. World of Warcraft became like interesting. Petri just for society. It's a neat little game. Yeah, the only the only point of comparison I can think of is Pokey virus. That, but they, I oh. guess you don't you don't get infected. You, you, your your trainer doesn't get infected, right? Your Pokemon. Right. Infected. It, it's a beneficial virus too. So that that is also true. Yeah, yeah. That's so that's super cool, man. It, it was a fascinating thing that happened. Uh, yeah, yeah, corrupted blood incident. Yeah, yeah. Um, I had other things like like there you were in early days. You were able to like uh, sort of kite this gigantic demon king 
all the way over to Stormwind, like the main uh, Alliance capital. And he would just kill people en masse. And I, every time he killed somebody, he would regain health. So even though there was like 100 players trying to fight him, if he just killed one level one guy, his health went back up. And it always became like a huge problem. Uh, Can't do that anymore, but it's just one of those things that emergent gameplay things that come up in an MMO that you can't really get in other games where it's just like they didn't intend for this to happen, but it happened and it became a memorable experience. Interesting. Very interesting. Well, speaking of memorable experiences, I'm going to move on to my second greatest game of all time, in my opinion. And that would have to be Metal Gear Solid, the original one on PS1. Uh, I really like this game because it was a game that introduced me to gaming when I couldn't play games yet. <laughs> um, I, I just, I, I couldn't really, I, I tried to play games at this point, but I couldn't really wrap my head around the controls because this was a game that you hadn't used the analog sticks for. Yeah. Um, it, it wasn't a, a D-pad type of situation. I could play D-pad games. I mean, I, I, I think I played D-pad games before then, but this was like a step up, personal evolution as a, as a video game aficionado, learning how to use the analog sticks. So before I learned how to use them, uh, it was actually my father who was playing the game. Late night, I would stay up and I would watch him play and I watched his fingers as he, as he knew Solid Snake or maneuvered Solid Snake around Shadow Moses and he, he navigated the menus. He got, he took out the copper box. I thought it was just so fascinating how the 3D aspects of the world were fully realized in a game that I, I, I in a way that I didn't, I never saw before in any other video game. And I mean that in the sense of the security cameras, you know, they were constantly scanning the areas to see if there are any intruders, the guards and the AI in the game seemed so advanced. Like they could find you and they could, you know, alert other guards of your location and then you're screwed. Uh, the way that the levels were designed where you could crouch or, or go into a prone position and, and go through, uh, airways or, or, or vents or, or go behind or underneath storage units, just think that things like that. And how it could even trigger cutscenes, like you could see the the bonds of people's feet, for instance, and, and and see a whole kind of conversation play out. It felt like a movie, even though the graphics in hindsight are just abysmal <laughs> by today's standards, right? Oh God, um, looking at old Solid Snake, yeah, it's just this weird blob. Yeah, yeah. Weird. I mean, it, it's just so iconic to me, uh, especially when when you're going up that elevator too. It's Solid Snake. He he changes out of that wetsuit, um, and and you're in that that snow level, and and you see the snow fall, and you're trying to get to the facility, but there are all these guards patrolling, so you have to learn their routes, and you have to learn where the where the cameras are, because that's another aspect that people don't necessarily talk about. The cameras sometimes they're hidden behind things, and you don't see them right away. So I guess it's kind of like Dark Souls in the way where it's trial by error. Sometimes, you know, you're, you're, you're seen by the cameras and then obviously you're, that alerts the guards to your location and, and you're screwed. But, uh, once you learn where the, where the, the cameras are, you can circumvent them or find a way to go around them. And you have to kind of 
make those illustrations and map it out in your mind. And that was just, it was like so intellectual in, in my opinion. It was just something that I, I don't really see. I didn't really see at video games do at that time. So, uh, yeah, it, it changed the game, uh, in terms of the way that we looked at video games. I, I think a lot of people would agree in the sense that it brought a new level of cinema and, uh, of, yeah. of, of just high production, uh, experience to, to the mix that we didn't really explore beforehand. And sure, we had pre-rendered cutscenes and things like that, but, the cinematic feel wasn't really, it, it was, it didn't meld with the gameplay. It was like, okay, you beat this thing and then there's the cinematic. In Metal Gear Solid, Hideo Kojima found a way to meld those two aspects together that, in such a way that was seamless. And it, to me, it's one of the, one of the best games of all time simply for establishing this precedent that we look back to. And it's so, you know, foundational to, to, to video games today. I mean, look at most video games, <laughs> you know, like, like they, they're, a lot of them have narrative driven experiences or have some kind of cinematic feel to them. Even, even games like Fortnite, you know, like look at what happened when season one ended, you know, and that black hole that happened. It was a very cinematic experience. Um, aside from the fact that Fortnite actually airs or, or shows actual, you know, films in the game. <laughs> that's another aspect, right? To it. So weird. But, yeah, that, that's very weird. But, you know, it, it, things that we know, don't necessarily think about, I think had their start in Metagross Solid, or at least like had an idea or an inkling in Metagross Solid. And that inspired so many games today and, and, uh, Hideo Kojima really, he, he knocked it out of the park with that game. I, I love that game. And, uh, he may not be, you know, like Death Stranding may not have, have resonated with everyone, but there, there's one thing that's undoubtable with that guy is that he knows how to create an experience. Yeah. And be it Death Stranding, be it Metal Gear Solid 5, any of his games, really, there's an experience, there's a vibe, there's an emotion to it that very few games manage to harp on. And it, it, it just, that's why I love video games. You know, like, I love video games because it gives me that, it takes me to another place, it takes me to another world. It, it immerses me um, in, in such a way that I can't be immersed in this real world. You know, like Death Stranding, the music, the, the environments and things like that. I'm not saying that this training is on the level of Metal Gear Solid, but I'm saying it, it's very much a identity of, you know, Hideo Kojima or it's a testament to his identity in the sense that it's just such an out of world, uh, experience. So yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. I can, even though it wasn't a major part of my childhood, just Metal Gear Solid, like it's undeniable. The influence it had, I did. The only amount of it I can remember playing was when, like, the first mission on the demo disc, and I believe it ends with you going up the elevator and taking off like your wetsuit or whatever, and it just has the credits roll. And I've I had never seen credits at the start of a game. I'm like, yeah, oh. yeah, yeah. It, it just felt like it was adding a level of prestige just by doing it. That I was like, oh wow, 
this game is it, next level. Yeah, yeah. I, it was like, oh man, I've only ever seen this in movies, you know. And, and that—that's what started it all, you know. Was like, why do movies and video games have to be two different things? Why can't they? Why can't you get the best aspects of movies and meld them into a video game? You know, like, yeah, it, it challenged that notion. It, it didn't. It, it said that video games didn't need to be just gamey. They didn't just need to be all gameplay. I think it could have been a, you know, much more than that. All right, Tim, give us your final game of all time. Okay, so no surprises here. Uh, I I know I've mentioned this a bunch of times. It's a game I played for many years. It's definitely had a, a large impact on me. Um, and, and I like to imagine other people as well. Uh, and that game, of course, is Plumbers Don't Wear Ties. Which, of course, is the revolutionary 3DO game from 1994. Um, I mean, yeah. Yeah, this one has eluded me. What are you uh, What are you talking about? Plumbers don't wear ties. Plumbers don't wear ties. It's the greatest game of all time. Huh. All right. Well, um, <laughs> don't be concerned. This is but, my serious uh, answer, David. How dare you? Uh, yeah, I know. It's just this is a very super serious podcast. Mm-hmm. So, all right. Please elaborate on plumbers don't wear ties. Well, plumbers don't wear ties is a it's a um adult oriented romantic comedy right it's uh it's a F- fmv i guess you call it yeah full motion video yeah yeah experience <laughs> I, just, I, I, just, I look at the summary on, on wikipedia it's it's pretty engaging it received negative attention for its lackluster production value nonsensical storyline, poor acting and humor, and for primarily being presented as a slideshow despite being advertised as a full motion video game. As a result, it's considered one of the worst games of all time. <laughs> like, that's a hell of a hell of an introduction to this game. Like, wow. So I suppose the, the, the gameplay is just you pressing the next key. That's the whole, that's the whole experience. Yeah. So it's a slideshow. Absolutely. Oh. This this formed who I am today. Okay. Pressing that button. So the this next. is this is when you peel back all my layers. This is what you find. Plumbers don't wear ties. <laughs> no. Okay. I lie. I've never played this game. It's probably why terrible. not? Because well, I, I think I think you just said why with that quote. <laughs> so no my real choice of course is Minecraft which I, I have indeed you don't for many years. say <laughs> hmm. yeah, are you surprised <laughs> yeah so this is a game I always no matter how I might step away from it <clears throat> Or, um, you know, play other stuff or just, you know, kind of lose interest for a little bit. I find it's always something I come back to 
consistently all the time. I mean, it, it, part of it, it helps that they are always updating it, but even if, even if they weren't, I feel like I probably would. Um, I, I mean, especially between all the mods and all the custom content people make for this, I'm sure that would be enough as well, but. I started back, this will actually be, well, no, it it has just passed uh, my ninth year of playing this. Uh, and it was, you know, alluding back to what you two were saying about, it seems like this game's come so far. Uh, it has. <laughs> it was very different uh, back like 10 years ago, back when running wasn't a thing, a hunger bar wasn't a thing. Uh, there's no experience. There was, it was definitely more bare bones. Nope. Uh, but even then, it was just, (laughs) even then it was just, it was just kind of an open-ended thing. Just do what you want. Kind of make your own goals. And, um, that definitely turns a lot of people off. And that's totally legit. I mean, you know, there's times where I, you know, like more structured content, but um, just that open-endedness and having a world open to you to form and do what you want with it, it was very enticing. And that really feeds into what I think I've already alluded to is uh, a large creative side of myself. And um, as time has gone on, and they've continually updated it. It seems like they've only ever really capitalized on the idea of making it what you want, doing what you want. And um, I think the the massive community that's still surrounding this game really proves that point of how creative this game allows you to be and uh, in the different ways it allows you to do that. Um, and I I think this is just, it's a game that, I mean, I, I hope I always play it. And there's probably a good chance I always will, but I certainly hope I do, because it is definitely, I, if it isn't the most influential game, it has to be certainly up there. As, again, something I've always come back to, and something I use as a, uh, you know, just to relax or unwind or if I've had a bad day or, or something like that, it's always nice to come back to it. It's a right. kind of a comforting comforting game to just lean back into and just kind of forget about stuff. So definitely very influential to me personally. Hmm. Yeah, I mean... I think Minecraft is just part of our culture now. It's it's one of the first games. I mean, they they World of Warcraft kind of uh, infiltrated like the mass culture, you know, pop culture at large. Yeah. But I feel like Minecraft somehow or other made it cool, like made video games in, in a way just a natural part of our life. Uh, in a way that many other video games strive to do, but didn't do. And I mean that in the sense that, you know, when mine, after Minecraft came out, we started talking about Minecraft, like as an educational tool about 
like, you know, people in Sweden using it in classrooms and things like that. Yeah. And it was just so weird, you know, for someone like myself, and I'm sure you guys too, to hear, you know, major media outlets say that a video game was actually doing good for the world. Because up until that point, for the most part, video games have been demonized, right? And they show, you know, they show Mortal Kombat, uh, you know, screenshots or things like that. To the mass public at large, it would have seemed like, you know, video games are just this very weird thing that people who live in their parents' basements, you know, do because they can't get girlfriends or whatever, right? But Minecraft was like, okay, that's that's not the case anymore, guys. Like, Minecraft means shows that everyone in the world plays video games, be it man, woman, child, whomever, they all play video games. They all enjoy video games. So, yeah, yeah, definitely uh, have a lot to thank Minecraft for, I think. Thank you, Minecraft. Thanks, Minecraft. Thanks, Mr. Notch. All right, Sean, what is your last favorite game of all time? Uh, before I say it, I'll give an honorable mention to uh, Near Automata, which is a game that was incredibly fun to play. I love the character designs, the music. I still listen to the soundtrack to this day, and it gave me the most emotional experience of my life in a video game. So Near Automata, special mention. But I have to give the, the last favorite video game place to a game that, as far as I'm concerned, is perfect. And that is Persona 5. Uh, from the music. Oh, hell yeah. Music was simply astounding. Like, people had talked about, like, really great game soundtracks in the past. Like, yeah, that's pretty good. But I could never really get into them. But Persona 5 soundtrack was just like, wow, this is really, A really plus, good. Plus, plus, plus. Yep. The visuals were just so freaking cool. Like everything, yep. which is this comic book art style, uh, but not comic book. It's just this, like very like angular things. Like thing, it's hard to explain, but it's just so dynamic and pops, and it's really cool. Uh, the writing was great. Um, I honestly I don't remember the story very clearly, but I do remember the, the characters and their their own little side stories that involved them. And learning about these different characters, all these cool different characters, not all of them were winners, but I'd say the vast majority of them were. And just getting to know these people and uh, growing with these people, I love the persona catching mechanic of like talking them down. I love the combat in general. They introduced the whole, to me, the whole uh, knockdown when you use a weak weakness attack and attack and do the one more and do the all out attack and all these different things. It was just so freaking cool. It had the whole slice of life dynamic to it that I really enjoyed. I'd never gotten that. I'd never played that kind of game where I could just like be a high school student and like walk around with like any sort of production value. Persona 5 was just, continues to be just perfect for me. And um, to be honest, when I applied to Keen Gamer to be a writer, they asked me to send in a sample game review. So I could see my writing ability and see if I could do a full game review. And the game I reviewed was Persona 5. So in that way, it's influential because it got me a job, which got me to this. 
podcast, which got me to all you wonderful people out there listening to my beautiful dulcet tones. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I mean, I don't think – I think people shy away from saying that Persona 5 is the greatest JRPG of all time. But, I mean – that, That's of, a it, hard claim to make. Generally, but it kind of is. I mean, it's a it's a culmination. I mean, it's one of the greatest JRPGs of objectively. Yeah, it, it, it's one. I of mean, the like greatest. just just from a, you know objectively, as you put, it's just it's just a culmination of so many years of this you know of tweaking the genre, mm-hmm. and it gets everything right for the most part. You know, like the characters are great, the story is great, the the, the graphics are great. It never feels like it's wasting your time. You know, like, which I think a lot of JRPGs feel like, you know, it, mm-hmm. it just, it, every aspect of this game feels like, it feels like worthwhile, you know, there's never a moment where I felt, oh, I gotta, I gotta do this shit now, you know, like, <laughs> like I never, oh, I gotta do this, you know, like, it just feels like I'm doing something worthwhile and then I'm progressing these characters and I'm, I'm you know, changing something. Which I feel like a lot of JRPGs strive for, but they don't accomplish. Yeah, a lot of JRPGs like they'll have character development, but like they can't fit as much character development that Persona Five does into their game. Like Persona Five, you actually I don't think you have time to talk to everyone to completion. Like completely follow their story. Right. You get yeah. everything. It, there's just there's not enough time. I think there's yeah. a new game plus to help make sure you get every everybody. But um yeah. One of these days, I have to play uh, Persona 5 Royale. I really, part yeah. of me has like a 10% belief that it will come to PC. I'm not sure, though. Just because Persona 4 came to PC and it gave me, I'm like, well, Persona I 4 is selling really well. Persona 4 is sold really, really well. It could bring Persona 5 Royale to PC and bring Scramble and change Scramble's name first. Do that. But bring that to PC as well. I'd buy both of them day one. I think it's. I think Persona Four, to be honest, was the litmus test, just to see exactly. if was, there is a. Yeah. Was if there was a tape, that you know. They were releasing like a game on PC. Was they released the game on PC? They had never really done PC before. Oh, tons of tons of Japanese publishers do this. Like uh, big one. I can't remember what it was, but like it turned out it was incredibly like, successful. So now they just release games on PC now. Square Enix. Square Enix does this now. It was, I think it was near actually, near Automata. It was, a, it was a PlayStation 4 exclusive, and then it went to Xbox One, and then they ported it to PC, and then after that, they did Final Fantasy 15 to PC. I think. I know Capcom is pushing digital more. I don't know if they're pushing PC more, or, but they've said 80% of their sales are digital. So yeah, so you gotta imagine they're gonna go to PC if they're not already. Come, oh yeah, they're on PC big time now, but they yeah. weren't always. Like, uh, yeah, like I mean Japanese publishers in general, they know, they know that PC is is where it's at. You know, they're certainly learning that now. Yeah, in the past, they're like no PC, no way. Uh, but now they're like, oh, there's money there. I want money. Yeah. So so like Persona Five. It's it's availability on PC. I think is inevitable, in my opinion. I really hope so. that's what I have to believe. I mean, it, it, it come on, like <laughs> you're, 
it's free money. Just free. do it. It's free real <laughs> estate, guys. Come on. Free real estate. Yeah. You have to keep your house. You just got to come get them. You bring the yeah. furniture. But the real estate's free. <laughs> what are you doing, Jen? These are your keys, not mine. I love that skin. All right. Moving on to me, my last favorite game of all time. So this one was this was tough because I was going to pick Uncharted Four, uh, Uncharted Two. Sorry, I'm playing Uncharted Four now. Um, but I was going to pick Uncharted Two because the game, this game was was one of the games that kind of sold me on multiplayer, and it 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 kind of introduced me to a an ecosystem and a community that I wasn't expecting. And I, I was like, oh, okay. And it, there, there's something to multiplayer. Like up until that point, I was like, ah, I don't want to play with other people. I hate people. Blah. You know, <laughs> like, but, but then I started playing this game and I actually started making friends through the game. So I was like, oh, man, this is really cool. I, I, I actually like this. So, um, I was, I, I do want to put that as my honorable mention because I, I do like that game for, and I appreciate that game for, for doing what it did, uh, for changing my mind about multiplayer. But my last favorite game of all time has to be, and it's going to be a little controversial, it, The Legend of Zelda Twilight Princess. Ooh, Ooh. interesting choice. Yeah. A lot of people yeah, didn't choose Ocarina. What's the matter with you? No. What about what about Majora's Mask? What that's, the hell? That's <laughs> I I picked Majora's Mask, but like, yeah, everyone has a, a Legend of Zelda or two on their top favorites, but usually yeah. isn't Twilight Princess. I'm interested to see why. Well, Wind Waker. Fun. Wind Waker's great. Um, but yeah, so I picked Twilight Princess because it was my fa- my my first Zelda game. Um, and it was also the first game that I got to play with my sister. Oh. So we, at, it, at that point in time, I was trying, was, was kind of getting into more mature games. There's a, there's an age gap between my sister and I. And, um, I was, I was getting into more mature games like Infamous and, um, like Killzone and things like that. And even Uncharted, um, and my sister wanted to get into video games. She wanted to play with me or at least watch me play. And I, I didn't have a lot of games in my collection that I could do that with, with her. But then I bought a Wii or my parents bought me a Wii because I didn't have any money back then. But, but then uh, my parents bought me a Wii and with the Wii came a copy of Legend of Zelda Twilight Princess. So we popped the game in, and I was fully expecting this to be a very mature game, but it wasn't. It was actually really whimsical, and it had a lot of charm to it. And we really, really, we were playing together. You know, every time, every time I'd come home, like one of my fondest memories is coming home uh, to uh, early because school was canceled because of a snowstorm, and my sister and I went to the same school. Obviously, she was in a lower grade than me. But uh, we would come home, and I'd be like, "Hey, you want to play Zelda?" And we'd go upstairs to my room, and we'd play <laughs> Zelda together. 
um, and we'd go to the snowy level. The I, I don't oh. know what, what it's called. The the uh, snow mountain with, level and, with the yetis. With the yetis, yeah, 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 yeah. And we go sledding with the yetis. <laughs> and I say, oh. hey, it's this is really easy. How about you know you do this? And it was like one of her first experiences playing a video game. So. To me, Legends of the Twilight Princess is a game that allowed me to spend time with my sister and also teach her about video games and, and, and get her to fall in love with video games. And uh, years after, actually, uh, that I finished the game and we finished it together, she actually went back and she beat the game on her own and she did everything. She got like all the hearts, she, you know, she opened all the chests, everything. She got a little fish which is a little weird, but okay. You know, so yeah. And she like, she demolished that game more so than, than I could have ever imagined. So yeah, yeah, that, that was, that was one of Zelda game that I was not expecting to have such a profound experience with, but, but I did. And I, I'm really thankful for that. Wasn't that 14 years ago now? Is it that old? <laughs> yeah, I think so. That's so. crazy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I got it around the same time. Yeah, yeah. That's... It's, it's crazy how time flies, right? It's just... Mm. Yeah, yeah. Can I but, mention... Yeah, go ahead. I, I've, I was going to do some honorable mentions, but then I forgot. Sure. Is that all right? Yeah. yeah, 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 of course. Okay. Uh, actually, it's funny you mentioned that. Uh, Legend of Zelda Wind Waker. <laughs> That was hey. that was my favorite Zelda game, okay. actually. Uh, I just like the openness of that one. Uh, the Fallout franchise, kind of in general, uh, more so New yeah. Vegas. The first I one was mm-hmm. more more so New Vegas. Uh, Fallout yeah. Three was okay. I was going to uh, say New Vegas. I was, I was thinking yeah. about it. I was like, yeah, mm-hmm. such I a know, yeah. Yeah. Um, I also like one and two as well in a different sort of way. But th- yeah. those were pretty fun. Uh, Undertale. Super, yeah. just amazing, totally, uh, just an amazing game. <laughs> Toby Fox is amazing, and he, sh- he should be allowed to make anything he wants to. He's fantastic. Uh, Terraria. Yeah. Yep. That's, yep. Love Terraria. I'm surprised, I'm surprised you didn't pick Terraria in your top three, to be honest. Yeah. You talk about I, it a it lot. Was, I do. It was it was a hard choice. I guess part of it was maybe to diversify a little bit um, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. from Minecraft, but that that def- that's definitely up there as well. Terraria, uh, Paper Mario one and two, love those to death. Very good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Enter the Gungeon, difficult, sort of roguelike, very replayable, very fun. Yeah. Crazy guns, very good. Uh, last one I have is Divinity Original Sin. I still have not beaten it, but it's a very fun it. game. I played two, and I really enjoyed it. And I don't know how much I missed for not playing one, but one reason I started with two, and that was an amazing game. Yeah. I, mean, I still I got a lot of good things about that franchise. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Very cool. Sean, do you have any honorable mentions? Uh, yeah, I can do some rapid fire ones. Uh, Witcher 3. I love that game. I really, really do. Um, has some of the best writing I've ever seen. Uh, I really love the gameplay. I love the character designs. I love playing it. It's great. Um, Fable. I love that game just because it's a great game to relax with. I could 
pop it in, start a campaign, and it's just, it's a nice, I want to say it's easy, but it's nice and relaxing. I don't know why, but it, it just really is. Uh, Batman Arkham City. I love Batman. And oh, yeah. It was like the best Batman game. Like it's, it's simply amazing. Hands down. Uh, Borderlands. I'm not sure which one, cause Borderlands 1 really didn't get me into the series. Borderlands 2, I think, was what really got me into the series. Um, mm-hmm. but I think pre-sequel might have better writing. I think I, I enjoyed the story of seeing how Handsome Jack became Handsome Jack. Actually, the best Borderlands game, my favorite one, is the Telltale game. Tales of the Borderlands. But that's never getting a sequel. Uh, Bayonetta 2. Love playing that game. Great character designs. I love Bayonetta as a character. Uh, Brutal Legend. No one else in the world likes that game. But I love it. I love that game. What are you talking about? No, God, I didn't do a poll. Dude, I got the platinum for that game. Do you know how uh, long it took me to get the platinum for that game? I'm sure. But I, I, yeah. I love that game. Um, the Darksiders series. I enjoy the Darksiders series the same way I enjoy Fable. There's just something about it that's just accessible for me. But Darksiders 2 is my favorite one. Uh, special mention to like the Bioware games, Dragon Age, Mass Effect. You know, those are both really fun to play. Metronomicon is a game I don't think a lot of people have played. It's a RPG rhythm game. Uh, which it's like turn-based combat with like Guitar Hero notes coming down, which sounds like it'd be hard to manage, but it really isn't. They do an amazing job making that system work. And the music is really good too. Like shout out to the music. It's, Phenomenal. I really recommend Every time someone asks me for a recommendation for any type of game, I'm like, oh, play Metronomicon because it doesn't get the attention it deserves. Um, Super Meat Boy, that was a game I picked up after I played um, I Want to Be the Guy. And so I was like, oh, play this if you like want to be the guy. I'm like, I didn't like I Want to Be the Guy. It's like, yeah, but I feel like challenge playing Super Meat Boy. I'm like, okay, I did. And I did. I really enjoyed it. And final mention to Typing of the Dead. It's it's a typing game in the context of a crappy 60s, 70s exploitation film about zombies. From oh. what do you need? Wow. All right. It, it delivered on exactly what it promises. Can't fault for anything else but that. All right. All right. Well, I have a couple of honorable mentions, too. I do want to – I don't want to, you know – go over what, what you went over, Sean. But I do really love Niamata 2. I think it's a yeah. really great game. It's, an, it's it's a hard game to recommend to people, too, just because it's like, uh-huh. oh, yeah, I played Niamata, but play it five times, you know, kind of deal. And they're like, what? It's like, well, it's not played entirely <laughs> five times, but you're going to restart the campaign at some point. It's like, I don't want to do this. It's like, no, you have to. Otherwise, you won't get it. It's like, well, it's a bad game. It's like, oh, you're a bad person. And then, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so great game. Uh, The Last of Us. I I, I think I always talk about The Last of Us on the show, but uh, I I didn't mention it before, and I didn't mention it in my top three. I love that game. I think it's Naughty Dog's best game. It's even better than Last of Us Part Two. Um, it it's just it's it's such a profound experience. I think. Um, Pokemon Ruby. I don't think uh, I don't think any of us mentioned Pokemon. No. Yeah, that's a good one. And, and yeah, I didn't mention any. And Pokemon Silver, 
Pokemon Ruby and Pokemon Silver. Uh, love that one. Those. Really good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Ratchet and Clank, up your arsenal. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> I yeah. didn't know that was a title. Which just points yeah, just yeah. for the title alone. <laughs> oh my that's gosh, that's hilarious. Entry and Ratchet Clank. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's it's Ratchet and Clank, Ratchet and Clank going commando, and then Ratchet and Clank really? up your arse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I uh, how did I not know this? And that they're all like innuendo. Wait, like I, all the okay, titles. I'm gonna have a field trip for a second. You keep like the new ones are called a crack in time. Right. So. <laughs> uh, or a rift apart, rift apart. I think it's called new one. Um, hmm. And then they have, let me think, full frontal assault. That's one of my favorites. Oh my goodness! Yeah, yeah. I've yeah. Ne- I feel worth wow. the media. This is children play these games. Oh my god! Yeah, it's just great. It's I love I love Ratchet and Clank. Um, and I want to give a shout out to the remake that they did on PS4, which is just they just did such a good job with the remake. Uh, it's amazing. Um, other games, Jack and Dexter, the precursor legacy and Jack two love both of those games. Um, Assassin's Creed two set in Venice. Where yeah. my family's from. I love Assassin's Creed two. Maybe brotherhood. I can't remember which one. Yeah. 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 Brotherhood's good too. The one that also featured Ezio after the first game. Yeah, it's Brotherhood, and then there's Revelations. So, yeah, yeah take your pick. I also want to play um, the Pirate. It refuses to run on my PC, so. The Black Flag, yeah, yeah. And I think that's it. Oh, and another controversial choice, Bioshock Infinite. I like Bioshock Infinite. Yeah. I don't love it. I don't know if it's better than one or two, but I like Bioshock Infinite for what it is. And that yeah. is a launch pad for Elizabeth Horn, but also for mm-hmm. yeah. her character. Is I, fun played too. It, I played it without the context of the original Bioshock. I played Bioshock after. So, yeah. mm-hmm. so I, I like Bioshock Infinite just for the world building and how well they, they manipulated those characters and, and told the tale of Booker and Elizabeth and, and just like all of the, it's just such, such a cool world, you know, Columbia floating in the sky with the songbird and, and things like that. It's just it's so imaginative. Part of it. Yeah. Like, always... Songs they had in the game were all like based on pop songs. Yeah. 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 From mm-hmm. like a time they, in the future, but it's because like there were time rifts and stuff like that. And so like things from the future, like spilling into their world or stuff like that. Right. And yeah. Their inventions and their, their songs. Like that's really neat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Go ahead, Tim. I played the first one a while ago and enjoyed it quite a bit. And I never got around to playing either two or infinite, but I'd always kind of want to try it. So it's yeah, interesting. Inf- two is about. like, two, I think is the worst of the three. Oh, really? Yeah, because it isn't developed by. Um, uh, come on, what's the studio? Ah, I forgot the name. But it wasn't developed by the studio that made the original Bioshock and Bioshock Infinite. Huh. So, yeah, that's that's kind of why it's considered the worst. But uh, still good. I mean, it's still a fine game. Yeah, um, I'd, I'd say play it just for Elizabeth, which sounds creepy, but yeah. like, she's a fun character. She's well voiced. She's well written, and she's yeah. just. Fun to have around, kind of like how Cortana is a fun person to have around in Halo, right? Like, sad, yeah. but not. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Two K. Yeah. Yeah. Two, well, no, Two K published them. Oh. I don't know who developed. Them. Irrational Games. Irrational Games. Yeah, you got it. It says Two K yeah. was a developer as well, but Two K developed, I think, number two, maybe. I don't know. Oh, maybe oh. Uh, maybe this is the franchise in general. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah. I think that's it. Oh, another sh- shout out. Sorry, I don't mean to belabor this. Alien Isolation. Love that game. Such a cool homage to the Alien franchise. I love the Alien franchise. They did everything so well in that game, except for, like, the only part I did disliked was the kind of backtracking in towards the middle of the game. But outside of that, great game. Probably one of the best licensed games out there in terms of, like, movie licenses. I can't think of another game that's that takes a movie license that does it so well. There was another one, a licensed game, but I can't remember what it is off the top of my head. It might be Alien Isolation is the best one, but I swear there was one that I had played that I really, really liked, but I can't remember what it is now. Yeah, yeah, but but I, I'm a fan. I, I'm not as big a fan of, of horror as Sean is, but, I, I, you know, I'm a fan. And uh, the way that this this game really gets in your skin is just so... <laughs> it's so great. It's so creepy, but it's so great. You know, with the aliens sniffing the lockers and shit. It's like, oh god. Ah! Yeah. So great game. All right. So I think that wraps up this episode, our climactic final episode. Thank you, everyone, so much for listening to our show every week. We had so much fun making it every week for you guys, and you could. You know, hear from us some more in the future. We're still going to be working in the video game industry. This isn't us quitting the video game industry for good or anything like that. We're, we're, we're going to be working together actually on, on something soon. So, you know, stay tuned for, for that. If you want to learn more about us personally and stay tuned to, you know, what we're doing, uh, professionally, Sean, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me at gingerbread. That's on Twitter. D J I N N G E R underscore bread. Very good. And Tim, you can find him on King Gamer. He wrote a lot of articles on King Gamer, so check them out. And as for me, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at xenocreator125. You can also find me on my website, davidjosephlazada.com. Thank you, everyone, again. Thank you so much for listening and for taking the time out of your day to to lend an ear to our little show. We really appreciate it. And we can't wait to share more about our lives and our careers with you in the near future. Thank you. Have a good one. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye.